In the muffler house, we have a saying, perfectly perfect. Now, there are a few mufflers who are perfectionists. Um, the little four-year-old that coined the phrase perfectly perfect um, basically was playing with blocks or dolls. We can't totally remember the situation, but she just looked at one of us and said, I just like things perfectly perfect. So that's kind of what we say every once in a while to like have a chuckle or a giggle. But to be very honest, one of my daughters is a perfectionist, but she definitely did not get that from me. She got that from her mother. And the Muffler family is blessed that Stacy's a perfectionist because, you know, left up to my devices, we, we wouldn't float. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, we'd have a great time for a month and then we'd probably be homeless doing something weird. You know what I mean? Just Excel's not my thing. You know, that kind of situation. Um, but she's a perfectionist. She's kind of OCD and I'm going to mildly pick on her and it's okay. You're not going to trouble. I will. Um, so her perfectionist, I, I love to see that stir in her. So like if there's ever a time where I'm putting down a blanket either on the beach or for a picnic at a park and then I, I spread it out and put it down and there's wrinkles and there's like one corner that's flapped over. I can, I can watch my wife and she's like, She's like, oh, and she tries, you know, and then she fixes it. I'm like, well, we don't have to. She's like, oh, no, no, we don't have to fix it. We've got time, so we will. You know what I mean? Is that perfection? It's like, no, no, I can give up at any time, but not today. You know, that kind of a situation. Um, if, if you're a perfectionist, just raise your hand. Be honest. Come on, raise your hand if you're a perfectionist. If you're a perfectionist, you know you're the only one folding towels in your house, right? I am not allowed to fold towels, Okay? I believe that inanimate objects need to be shoved places and doors closed, and I'm fine. Stacy folds towels military-grade style. I mean, I'm talking a Marine would be like, hmm, it's nice. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain ways of doing things, and I'm like, ah, oh, just shove them in there. It's, it's totally fine. Um, she's also a perfectionist when it comes, you know, kids and car seats and buckles and other blah, blah, blah. You know, fun stuff like that, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, I am not a perfectionist. I would call myself a B plus kind of guy. Anybody B plus kind of people in here? Raise your hand. All right, B plus kind of guy. I don't know if it's my ADHD. I don't know if it's the list of 50 things that is always haunting me that I've got to get going, right? But there's just times in my life that I'm not aiming for A+. I gotta get something done and move on. Maybe it's my attention span. Let me give you a few examples. Since I've made fun of my wife, I'll make, make fun of myself. Um, the mufflers just got um, some new tile in our upstairs bathroom. And it's a, it's a little higher than our hardwood floor. So I had to trim our bathroom door. And you've heard the old adage, right? Measure twice cut for A plus people that works, right? <laughs> For a B-plus kind of guy, I measure twice, and I cut about five times. <laughs> and if you come to our house today, and you walk by our restroom, you'll go... <laughs> Whatever. Here's another example. Um, uh, our, our kid's swing set in the backyard is level. It is not anchored. Okay, they're small, right? There's no big deal. What I imagine someday, in like three, four years as they grow, I'm going to hear like a, yay, yay, pfft, ah! you know, that kind of a situation. But again, I put it up, it's secure, and I move on to the next thing. I'm kind of a B-plus kind of guy, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just saying. Matter of fact, um, the, the B-plus nature in me is very fearful 
of the A-plus people in circumstances. Matter of fact, the perfectionists scare me in this room. You guys are meticulous, and it, it, it makes me nervous. So here's someone's opinion of a perfect preacher. Ready for this? He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. He condemns sin, but never hurts anybody's feelings. He's 26 years old and has been preaching for 30 years. <laughs> he has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all of his time with the older folk. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and never leaves his church office. Listen, perfection to me is awfully scary. I look at that and I struggle. Oftentimes, being a perfectionist can be debilitating. People feel that if they can't do something exactly right, then why even bother trying? I see this in my wife and my daughter. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I witnessed my daughter trying to fill up two cups full of milk. And you like, fill it and fill it and move on, right? Poor sweet girl, you fill it, fill it, and a little bit, a little bit. And like 10 minutes later, we're all dying. We're like, we just need milk, come on, let's go, right? So that perfectionist in some of us sometimes limits our ability or even our, 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 our willingness to try something new if we don't think we can do it. Eh, perfectionists say, no thanks. Here, here it is, man. Um, now, I know I'm not a perfectionist by nature, but I can let the fear of imperfection keep me from speaking up in matters of faith. And, and I'm guessing I'm not alone in here, has let, that I've let my imperfection stop me from sharing my faith story to people that I love. The perfectionist must say, if I can't get it right, I'm not gonna try it. The, the B plus person that I own myself, I, I'm, I'm broken. I've got lots of issues. And I know sometimes that I'm limited in the conversations with my family, with my neighbors, the people that I, that I love and interact with, because I know like, I'm gonna put my foot in my mouth. I'm gonna say something that maybe offends, offends somebody, somewhere, sometime. Or they're gonna ask a question and I have to relive some past that looks horrific. So sometimes I'm even limited by my imperfections. So we struggle. It doesn't matter if you're a perfectionist or if you're a B plus kind of person, we struggle in sharing this great news of Jesus Christ with other people. Now today we're looking at a man with an with, that, with many imperfections, but God used in a perfect way. We are continuing our wilderness series. Uh, today we're going to take a look how we can be a voice in the wilderness by looking at John the Baptist. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to put something on the screen that I'm going to say the first time. Through the sermon, I want you guys to join in. So the first one's free. Sit back and enjoy. The next one, I'll, I'll have you join with me. John was God's dynamic voice telling those from the wilderness about the Christ to come. We, so we are called to be God's dynamic voice telling the world about Christ today. So let's start with a question. Who is this voice calling in the wilderness? Who is this John the Baptist? Let's have a quick uh, review of, of who he is and then we can, we can move on. Matthew 3, 1 through 6 says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of, ha uh, kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken uh, of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of the calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went to him from Jerusalem, all of Judea, and the whole region of Jordan. 
confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, this is taking place at the very end of this intertestimonial period from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There are 400 years of silence from God. There are no prophets, uh, there are no judges, there's no miraculous signs for 400 years. Decades, decades, generations after generations, God's quiet. He doesn't communicate with his people. And now we have John the Baptist and people flock to him from the cities, from other areas. Basically, we have John the Baptist in the wilderness, literally a wilderness in the middle of nowhere. And we kind of see maybe why. What was he wearing? Camel hair? I mean, is that... Vogue? Now, fashion changes fast. I don't, uh, fidget spinner, whatever. You know, there's just things that happen fast and go away fast, right? But he was kind of a recluse. He was not a person that fit into society all that well. Um, He was a fanatic follower of God that was into self-denial and avoiding the world's comforts and pleasures. We see his dress. We see his diet as an attempt by him to chase after God, to be set apart as a holy man. All right, he sounds weird because he was, but his heart was in a great place. Anybody in church know somebody who's like, oh man, I know this guy, he loves Jesus, but he's weird. Yeah, you know, I know that guy? And if you don't know that guy, you're that guy, which is okay, that's fine. I don't care what t- your t-shirt says. Listen, if you're chasing after God and say, you know what, I'm gonna try to set myself apart and be holy for God. I don't care. If you love Jesus, you're strange. I'm strange. Let's be strange together. It's totally okay, right? We see John as a strange guy. He's just weird. Matter of fact, um, he was not only weird, but he was doing an amazing thing. This is what uh, Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 11. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. One of the highest compliments given to anyone in the New Testament. Can you imagine if Jesus, the Messiah, God's son, the chosen path for salvation says, you are the best man born of women. I would laminate it. I'd put it on my fridge. I'd, my wife would hear about it every day, right? Well, Jesus thinks, you know, but it's one of those things, right? So he says that he's a great man, not because he's supernatural, not because he himself is something amazing, but what he is doing, he is pointing the way for other people to understand who the Messiah is so they can have a relationship with him. The second part of that scripture is is even interesting. I love it for for the two of us. Um, Yet Jesus says that anyone in the kingdom will be greater than this, greater than John the Baptist, because we will have new life in Christ. New life, new body, spiritually renewed. You and I, because of a relationship that we have in Christ, we have the opportunity to be even greater than John the Baptist because of our connection through Jesus Christ. Now, John was an ordinary man like you and I. Um, I sometimes get in a bad habit of looking at some of these uh, biblical characters and think, oh man, they must be super Christians. They must be amazing men and women of God. There's no way I can live up to this. But to be very honest, John the Baptist had an amazing role in the kingdom, but he was as just as human as you and I, just as broken as you and I. He was an imperfect person that God was using in a perfect way. Um, He had older parents. Uh, His mom, who was a little... Youth impaired. Old's not very nice. Let's say youth impaired, okay? They're fairly up there, right? Um, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were related in some way. Scripture doesn't clearly point that out, but it looks like if we dig a little deeper, a guesstimate would be they were aunt and niece. This would make Jesus and John the Baptist first, second, or even third cousins. That's going to come to play in just a second. Now, John was subjected to the authority of others. Here's, here's another reason I look at John the Baptist and I think, wow, he's, he's a solid dude. Mark 1.7 says this, and this was his message. This is what John the Baptist says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John knew his role in the kingdom. He was the messenger, not the Messiah. Matter of fact, he had such great success um, in the desert, he would call people out, they would come from cities, they would come from other regions, and they would stay, and they kind of like became their disciples, their followers, right? So John the Baptist had this great many of people hanging out with him until the, until the day Jesus came. And this is what he did. This is amazing. I love how John reacts to this in humility. Even though he had a large following, he redirected his followers to focus on Jesus and they left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. He was so aware there was authority over him, he knew he was a part of something great, but he wasn't the great, Jesus was. And so he didn't mind that this, all these people, these men and women, these crowds that would follow him around, he literally pointed to Jesus and said, you go with him. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. Matthew 14, three through five says this, we're talking about he was under authority. Now Herod, had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, this is not lawful for you to have her. This gets a little Jerry Springer on us in just a second. Herod wanted to kill John, but was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. He was under government rule. There were consequences to his words and actions. We are celebrating 4th of July. We are celebrating the anniversary of the beginning of a nation, the birth of a nation, whatever it is. We're celebrating... It's another year strong for America, right? We have this great right. We have the ability. We have the right to say what we please. We have freedom of speech, but there are consequences to it. Guys, if I get on Facebook or some social media and I just start lampooning, bashing, and just being horrifically mean to liberals, Republicans, whomever, whatever it is, some of you are gonna look at me and say, well, obviously that guy's not very bright. I don't like his opinion. I'm going to stop listening to him. Listen, I have the right to say ridiculous things. You also have the right to look at me and say, I'm never going to listen to you again. We got to be careful about that. John, um, Harold, took his brother's wife for his own. Okay, there's some math there, but it's not nice. It's not cool. And so basically, John the Baptist looks at this situation and says, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not cool. He was under the authority of that government, and he was put in jail. So there are consequences to his voice, to his actions. Um, just because he was pointing people to Jesus didn't mean that he had an easy life. Matter of fact, he even doubted faith in Jesus. Can you imagine this? The guy who literally is making straight paths for people on ramps for people to get on the highway, the fast track to Jesus Christ. He looks at Jesus and questions. We see this in Matthew 11, 2 and 3. When John, who's in prison, remember, he said something, somebody didn't like it, in jail, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who, who is to come or should we expect someone else? John questions Jesus because of Jesus' actions. Remember, John was trying to be holy. He was trying to be pious. He was trying to be set apart. So he lived away from other people. And, and sometimes you and I, we try to act like 
we're holy and we just kind of don't hang out with people that maybe aren't. So John the Baptist sees Jesus hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, enemies of the Jews, enemies of God. And he looks at, and Jesus says, wait a minute, the Messiah that I wanted you to be would be like holy, set apart, only hang out with Jews, only hang out with nice people that, you know, dress up nicely and don't say naughty words, right? So John questions Jesus, are you the one to come? And I'm going to tag this on. We find John in jail. His whole life was pointing the way to the Messiah. This is his cousin. (laughs) You would think John would be like, hey, fam, can you get me out of jail? Can you do something about that? I question this whole thing. So even in John the Baptist, a guy that we would look at as a hero, he's broken. He doubts. He looks at Jesus and says, "Mm, are you really the one to come? Not sure about that. Now, he didn't have a fairy tale ending. Uh, Matthew 14, I'm just, uh, let's just say 10. We're going to skip through. Uh, The king had John beheaded in prison. Remember, uh, he said something against the king. The king said, you are now going to jail. Eventually, uh, there was a party. Somebody lost their head, and John died. That's a gut punch, guys. John the Baptist was striving to follow Jesus, striving to point people. He was the voice in the wilderness calling people to repentance and to follow Jesus Christ. And he didn't have a fairy tale ending. I would love to stand here. It'd be easier as a preacher to be like, oh man, he was in jail, but it's cool. He got out. Now he's got a bunch of cars and a big house and he's got tons of kids and it's health and wealth everywhere. That's not what we've been promised. We've been promised if we follow Jesus, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some hurt. This life is not a fairy tale ending. The fairy tale ending we receive is not a perfect life, but a perfect God that literally moved heaven and earth to love us through Jesus Christ. If we are expecting a perfect, wonderful Disney, there's a song in the background, there's birds flying because we follow Jesus, we're in for a rude awakening. We are looking forward to a promise through Jesus Christ that no matter what our story is, no matter what we've done, said, how we've hurt or have been hurt, he loves us and he wants us to be his children. That's the fairy tale ending. Now, John had an extraordinary occupation, preparing the way uh, for the Messiah. His message and ministry marked the climax of the law of the prophets, but signaled the incoming of the kingdom of God. He was in that middle in between Old Testament, New Testament. It's kind of interesting. Um, Now, John the Baptist was of great importance in the New Testament. He ended 400 years of prophetic silence, paved the way for the Messiah. He preached the message of repentance and baptism, and in his dark times, he questioned if Jesus was truly the Messiah. He launched a spiritual movement that had influence long after his death. Now, we're going to say this all together, okay? The first one was free. The next couple, I want you to do this. Here's what we're listening. Here's what we're learning. Here we go. John was God's dynamic voice telling those from the wilderness about the Christ to come. So we are called to be God's dynamic voice telling the world about Christ today. So information about John the Baptist is great. Come to church, like, oh, great, I got another, you know, Sunday school lesson, that's great, John the Baptist. What do we do with this? If we look at John the Baptist and say, well, you know, he lived a life, he died, he was a follower, that's great. If we walk away with just more information, I, I feel like we've done you a disservice. Guys, I want to encourage us 
John found his voice in his wilderness. I think it's time for us to find our voice in our wilderness. Now, listen, I know we live in Bloomington and it's beautiful. There's green trees everywhere. So when I say wilderness, I don't necessarily mean desert. I'm not talking Phoenix. I'm talking our wilderness is our culture that looks at us and says, Jesus, really? That's kind of a crutch. Absolute truth, no, there's many ways to heaven. Morality, well, if it's good for you, that's fine, but if this is good for me. We live in a wilderness. We live in a place that is aggressively against Jesus Christ. So we need to find our voice in our wilderness. Now, finding your voice is not easy. I, I don't know if you've ever had babies in your house, um, but the mufflers now, we're collecting them like snow globes. It's real fun. Um, and I love babies because one day, I mean, it's, it's pooping, sleeping, eating, pooping, sleeping, eating. And then one day, they like see their hand and they're just awestruck. They're like, what? I can control this? And then eventually they're like, feet? I'm going to stick that in my mouth. That's amazing, right? We call these baby steps, these small but sure over time, trying to figure out who they are and how they move. And um, our kids have had really cute individual voices trying to figure out who they were. One of our kids uh, was a pterodactyl. Now, I, I didn't ever hang out with pterodactyls. I'm old, but I'm not that old, right? But I, we, could, we could hear her from the room like, ah! and we're like, oh, what's going on? You know what I mean? She, she never liked being alone. Uh, one of our girls was kind of like a mumbler. It was real easy because we could sleep right through it, but she'd be like, rah, rah, and then, you know, we thought, oh, no, we've got a wallflower. We've got an introvert. This is not going to, she's, she's the loudest person in our family. It's great, right? We've got a baby today. We have a little foster girl. She's three months old, and she's a gurgler, okay? So in the middle of the night, say at three o'clock, because that's when she likes to eat, she'll be like, and you slowly wake up to this, and so at three o'clock in the morning, I walk over, and this kid is, is down here, and she's looking up at whomever just going, and that's great, right? Because at 3 o'clock in the morning, you need a little bit of happiness. You can't have the kid just be that angry at you all the time. So trying to find their voice is cute. It's fun. It goes from gurgling to pterodactyls uh, to gibberish uh, to words to phrases like, I like things perfectly perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's this stage, there's these baby steps, and it's awesome. It's great. But just like you and I had to learn to crawl, to walk, to eat, to talk, it takes time for us to find our voice in our faith story. I don't know if you've been at church for a long time or this is your very first time. If you're, if you're a first timer here, congratulations for being brave. Way to go out of your way and try something new. If you've been a part of church culture and the church family for four or five, six decades, you can remember a time when your life interacted with Jesus and everything changed. You didn't exactly know what to do, what to say, where to go, all these kind of different things, right? So you had to learn who you are through mentors, through Bible studies, through church, through, through relationships. We now have a better understanding day by day how to have a voice, how to communicate, how to love, how to serve other people for Jesus Christ. But it does take time. Now here are a few tips that will help us find our voice and then we'll get out of here. Number one, finding your voice is not easy. Um, <laughs> uh, learning to be okay being a work in progress. 
Number one in finding your voice in your wilderness is, it is I'm giving you permission. I'm just John. Tom's out of town, and that's cool. Um, I'm giving you permission to be okay. That you're just okay. You do not have to be perfect. I don't know how many times I've heard, man, I, I can't serve. I can't show up. I can't do this because, man, I still have this habit. And I still smoke, or I, man, I, I'm newly single, or man, I, man, I, things that I say sometimes. Listen, if, if we waited, you and I waited to be perfect people to serve God, we would never step up to the plate. Being okay is okay. Being okay in your brokenness is totally fine. Own your story knowing that it's not finished. Whoever you are today, it's fine. We can do better. We can grow closer to God. But to be honest, it, you should look like a different human being in a month from now, just like you probably looked like a different hum, human being a year ago. We need to be okay knowing that, that we're, we're, we're a project and our story's not over with. God, through sanctification, is growing us and creating a new creation throughout time. So that's the first one. Uh, learn to be okay, being a work in progress. And number, one, number two is find your role in the kingdom. Explore opportunities until you find your sweet spot. If you like babies, high five. That's great. Listen, we need nursery workers. But if you're not a big fan of like feces, don't, don't do it. It's okay. Whatever. High school ministry, way less feces, right? So if you want to do high school ministry, right? But listen, I tell students all the time, I want you to explore serving opportunities until you find something you love. It is okay to try something out and fail. It is okay to look at that and be like, oh, that's, that's probably not for me. Try something else. It is okay. We have so many opportunities to serve, to love, to encourage broken people. Get on board. Ministry should be difficult, but man, is it rewarding. High school ministry just took a trip to Florida. Yeah, I know. That sounds rough, right? To a conference, 1,500 uh, junior and senior high students. We had five, six high school students for the first time step up and say, you know what? I don't know everything about Jesus, but I need to make a first step. It was a 15 hour drive. Was it worth the 15 hour drive? It was worth the 15 hour drive for five students to say, you know what? Jesus is a big deal. I got to give my life. I got to start this. Ministry is hard, but man, it is rewarding as well. So if the first one is be okay with the work of the progress, second one's find your own in the kingdom. And this last one is don't lose faith with a lack of a fairy tale ending. John did not have an earthly fairy tale ending. Matter of fact, the vast majority of Jesus' followers, disciples, apostles, did not have a fairy tale ending. They most, mostly lost their lives because of their faith. You will love people that ultimately choose to hate and reject you because they choose to hate and reject God. But don't give up. Be okay, messy. Get in the game and understand not everything is gonna work out perfectly every time. That's my encouragement for us. As we try to find our voice in our wilderness, we have an obligation of love to share this great news of Jesus Christ with other people. So if it's your family, if it's your home, if it's your neighborhood, if it's your workplace, I don't care what it is. Guys, how can we be okay with who we are, understanding that we're just a cog in the machine that is serving a perfect God? It doesn't matter if we're a perfectionist and a B-plus person, that we strive to let people know that there is this beautiful path to salvation, and his name is Jesus Christ. What if... What if you found your voice? How would your circles change? How would your family change? Let's say this one more time, and then I'll pray. John, 
was God's dynamic voice telling those from the wilderness about the Christ to come. So we are called to be God's dynamic voice telling the world about Christ today.